Hey everybody, welcome to The Tennis Tragic. Uh, this is episode one, although really we've recorded a few, um, but I have a feeling this is going to be the first one we ship. I don't know about you guys. Oh, I like I, the confidence, yeah. Yeah, this, I'm projecting a little bit of confidence here. My name is David Kalina. I'm coming to you from Austin, Texas today, and with me as always are my co-hosts Matt Rochford and Alex Dawson, both from hey. Sydney, Australia. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, well, thanks, David. Very good. Very, very, very good. Uh, so tell me, uh, tell me, Alex, what is a tennis tragic? Um, someone who's completely obsessed to the point where you can't talk about it to the level you'd like to with everyone else around you. <laughs> ah. There's only certain few people that that you can unload on, you know. That's, um, the, that's the tragedy. The tragedy is that nobody understands us. Exactly. Except for, except for each other and our and yeah. our adoring fan base. <laughs> Please love us. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna it's gonna take a little time to build up from our listener base of zero. Um, <laughs> yeah. Have you have you guys shared the podcast with anybody so far as we've done trial runs? I've talked about the podcast to other people, and we did play a little bit for our for our friend Steve, who also likes tennis. And Alex's partner Martinez heard heard some of it. Yeah, that's to the extent on my end. It's a pretty close little circle that's heard it so far. What about you, David? Yeah, just my friend Joe uh, gave our second episode a listen, which I think was maybe our roughest one. But uh, when we did the Wimbledon draw show, but yeah, uh, yeah, I'm excited to share it with some more people. So I think I think maybe you know, see how this thing goes. I guess you know, at some point you just have to pull the trigger. So, yeah, um, so right. So today, since we're uh, losing listeners already by the dozen uh, by talking about <laughs> the process of making a podcast rather than actually talking about tennis, um, <laughs> maybe we should transition into what's going on in the tennis world. Um, so it is August the 11th. It's uh, Sunday here in the U.S. anyway. Um, I guess it's still, still Sunday, Sunday in too. Sydney as well. Yeah, so um, <laughs> it is the final day for ATP Canada and WTA Canada. So it's Masters level slash whatever Premier, whatever they call it on the women's side. I don't know why they insist on calling them different things. I guess they have different premier. point values. Yeah, there's like Premier yeah, mandatory, premier. and then there's like Premier optional. <laughs> I don't know what the uh, what the alternative mm-hmm. is. There aren't as many, right, uh, premier mandatory events as there are Masters events, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, again, really exciting topic there. Uh, but so today we're headed into finals. Uh, Rafa Nadal is going to play against, um, well, he's not going to play against Guillermo Fies, who gave him a walkover, unfortunately. Um, he's going to play against Daniel Medvedev. And uh, on the women's side, we've got an exciting like home court matchup where Bianca Andreescu is going to be playing Serena Williams for for the title. So uh, yeah, so have you guys been watching the tournaments? Have you been keeping up to date? Yeah, oh, pretty yeah. much. I've watched as much as I can. So I have. I missed the the semis though. I didn't get to see the Russian showdown, which I really would have liked to see. Um and. I didn't get to see Morphe's match either, which it's always a shame when someone makes it through and then has to retire before a big match, before a semi or something like that, because you must feel for the player they played in the round before in the quarter. They're ready to go. They're fit, and they're like, "Ah, oh, I could, I could have kept going. You know, I could have, I wasn't going to pull out. You know, but it's it's one of those awkward things." Yeah, I also feel for Monfils though because um, he had to play those two matches on the same day. Yeah, so that's right. If if uh, if that, oh, and the reason for that was because it was the day was running too late, not because of any weather. Is that right? No, it was because of weather on the yeah. quarterfinal Friday. So um, so yeah, so Monfils and RBA were scheduled. They actually started. They played two points. Monfils won both points oh. on on RBA's serve. So they came back, or maybe it was maybe it was already Love Forty, but they came back and Monfils was had a lead on Batista Agut's service game, and then you know took the break. He actually went up two breaks and gave one back. Um, I was like kind of half watching it yesterday and this morning, um, and uh, it's kind of an interesting contrast in personalities um and also in in fitness because 
Batista Agut just seems like he can go forever. Like he just he's a machine. He's a machine. He doesn't. It's like he doesn't break a sweat out there. Whereas Guillaume Monfils, even though he like Guillaume Monfils is a is an extraordinary athlete in many ways, but I feel like his endurance isn't there. So like you know Monfils gets into these long matches and all of a sudden he does that hunchover thing where he like grabs his mm-hmm. ankles and he's like stalling for time and you know the umpire doesn't start the shot clock until the crowd has settled down and. He was just like hanging on by a thread through most of that third set, and then mm. in the tie- and then in the tiebreak, he's just like, "I'm just gonna redline it and go for all my shots." And he just kind of he kind of crushed Roberto uh. in that moment. But then, yeah, not being able to play like the two matches in one day thing is pretty brutal. Um, it's rough, and, yeah. yeah. And it sucks for the yes. fans. And Monty yeah. is such a likable guy. He's had trouble with injuries and. You know, he's older, he's an older player. It's tough to see someone struggling out there um, trying to play but not being able to quite um, give it their all. Yeah, I think there's this element to men's tennis especially because they do five sets at the slams that the real the top guys, one of the many ways that, you know, Rafa, Roger, Novak have separated themselves from the pack is just that their endurance is astronomical. Like, you just... They never really get tired, you know. That they, they can play at that high level deep into a fifth set, and a lot of these other guys, they just they run out of steam. You know, they're mm-hmm. not able to keep it up um, five hours into a match, like you know most humans, even extraordinary athletes like I am. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think sometimes that's down to injuries, injuries as well, because although Monfils might not be as fit as some of the other players, I think the reason is because is because he can't train as as much not because he's not a superior athlete but because he hasn't been able to do all his training because he's he's managing his injuries so um right mm. yeah you know it's some some players are just um less injury prone than others They're just lucky with their genes yeah so it's uh the whole thing is a competition to figure out who has the best genetic material. <laughs> it's like, you know, who do, we, who do we choose to breed the future generation of tennis stars? <laughs> you know that you guys know that Federer has four kids across two, two pairs of twins. What if they are oh, that's right. I forgot about the twin. Yeah. totally dominant? What if the four of them are the only ones competing for Grand Slams and... 20 years and, and, and doubles. crushing it in doubles yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. that would be pretty incredible if that happened the <laughs> federal kids played doubles <laughs> i mean his oh, wife was also a professional high level professional tennis player did you guys know that that mirka played yeah. yeah 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 she was um... it's highly likely that the kids could just go i don't want to hear the word tennis in my life again <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, what what's it like to be the child of a billionaire? I mean, they might, you know, are they going to be well adjusted? I mean, you know, knowing Roger Federer and how utterly perfect everybody thinks that he is, I wonder if maybe they're going to grow up to be like real malcontents, you know, just like mm. getting into trouble, like crashing sports cars, <laughs> like doing too many drugs, you know, like Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is a risk. <laughs> <laughs> That's a huge prediction. Or well, not prediction, but uh, <laughs> potential path. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. I've given you guys two potential paths here for the Federer kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tennis superstars or just proper drop kicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, like so what Macaulay else Culkin? Good? What was that? Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, that's, that's who I was thinking of. That's totally who I was thinking of. As an example of that kind of person that you were talking about, David. <laughs> well, you know, he wasn't the only Culkin kid, though. You know, there's like there's Rory. I don't know oh, any of the others. Neither do I. Yeah. <laughs> there's others. <laughs> yeah, Rory is. Uh, Rory's an actor as well. I think he's he's had some good performances. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Let's steer it back. Four. <laughs> Scream four. You can let it go. 
let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, this I haven't is, seen. I didn't go past. This is not, two. Anyway, actually, yeah. so Kieran Culkin is the more famous brother. Oh, Kieran. Yeah, and then there's Dakota Culkin. Uh, Quinn Culkin, I've never heard of. Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole nest of them. Yeah, I, wonder if, I wonder if they play tennis, which is the topic of our podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, we can Google that later. Uh, so, um, how about how about you, Matt? Have you have you been watching this week? What do you do? You have any uh, thoughts on the the Canadian tournaments that you'd like to share? Um, well. Um, Firstly, uh, it was a travesty that my my guy, Raven Clarkson, couldn't get a visa into mm. Canada. I don't know what's going on there. Um, you know, was I he just... like a, a traitor of Gilead and just Canada <laughs> let him in? Um, Somebody forgot to submit a visa application form is, I think, what happened there. Yeah, probably. Oh, no. That, that's all that happened. But, um, yeah. That meant that um, Michael Venus had to play with Austin Krychek in the doubles, uh, and they won their first round, but um, lost in the second. And um, mm. I don't know who's who's made the doubles final now, but in the singles, we, um, we've got what Cam Norrie and Nick Kyrgios predicted is uh, Daniil Medvedev in the final. They say he was looking the sharpest out of all the players on tour at the moment and predicted that he'd make the final and he did yeah you know medvedev he just seems so consistent these days like it's every tournament i'm expecting to see him you know deep quarters semis final um so not surprised here i don't know if he's going to be able to topple the rested rafa nadal uh, it drives me nuts that rafa is padding his stats while novak and roger sit out i feel like Rafa should just be required to sit out if those two guys aren't playing. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but I guess that's that's kind of the long game, right? And you know, Rafa's proven his fitness. He it's uh, not taking the yeah, drinking is drinking is more about that or the U.S. Open warm up. Do you, do you think it is about just stealing some cheeky points or? I don't think he's trying to just get points. More. First of all, I mean, he was on record saying it's not easier without those guys, which is bullshit. <laughs> I mean, like, come on. He doesn't have yeah. to beat either one of them to win a tournament. It's a little strange to me just because I wonder if he's going to play Cincinnati. I mean, it's, I think it's maybe possible that he could win this tournament and then sit out Cincinnati and be rested for the U.S. Open. Because mm. um, he's had a history of getting hurt on hard courts. And I think more than anything at the U.S. Open, like the U.S. Open just grinds people down. And... um you know, if if he wants to go deep, if he wants to actually win the thing, he has to stay healthy. That's like that's the mm-hmm. the primary objective, I think, for Rafa. So it would actually be surprising if he played both Masters events in the lead up, and you know went deep in both of them. Although I guess there is there is a week in between, right? Like we have Cincinnati, and then there's a week off. Okay. Yeah. Right. So. Still. Yeah. Unless you want to play Winston Salem. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rafa. <laughs> Brava plays Winston Salem. Uh, I would be impressed, actually. Uh, I, you know, he's such an alpha dude. Uh, but you know, I, maybe I'm really not in position to question his training regimen. Even though I am currently training for a 10k, I don't know what the hell these guys do to to stay in shape like this. You know, it's <laughs> like uh, must. I, I would actually be really curious to learn about like what what the pro guys, like what their actual training regimen is like. I mean, I, I imagine mm. everything must be so controlled. We'll, um, we'll have a report prepared for you for the next podcast. Thank you. We'll go yeah, through a, um, a typical week in the life of a tour professional. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to a, a highly produced uh, documentary piece from you guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually like that idea. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, I think um, I think you would play the Masters 1000s, all of them, if you can, if you're fit enough, um, or or at least most of them. Like, yeah, there's obviously a scheduling reason for Federer and Djokovic, but Nadal's missed a few early on in the year. Maybe he's trying to make up ground. He's feeling good. He feels like he can play all of them, uh, or, or the remaining ones, anyway. I was, so I was watching Rafa Fanini earlier this week, 
And the, the commentators were talking about how Rafa used to never take a point off, which is kind of still how I view Rafa. Like, he just doesn't, you know, he's relentless, right? Like, he, you know, it, to a point yeah. where it's kind of annoying. You're just like, dude, relax. You're up 5-1, <laughs> you know. Like it's, but they were saying that he doesn't quite, he, like, he plays the score a little bit more than he used to, you know, which mm. is, I mean, I think all three of these guys, they have to be more careful because they're getting older. I mean, you know, even though... It seems like Federer and Novak never get hurt. Like it has happened, and as they yeah. get into their, you know, deeper into their careers, it's certainly more likely. In Roger's case, I think he's like he's only got so many slams left um, where he has a legitimate chance. So you yeah. know that he's conserving his energy and trying to manage manage his schedule as much as possible. Um, I think there was a case where. I don't know if it was Roger or Rafa pulled out. Like, I feel like Roger and Rafa were scheduled to play a semifinal at a Masters event last year. And one of them pulled out because it was like, you know, it was one of these like two matches in a day situations. Roger had won two matches in a day and then couldn't play the next day. So uh, they should it was really... Roger. Who's Roger? It, it was Roger. I think. Oh, it was Roger. Yeah, yeah. He pulled out, yeah. Yeah. He just couldn't do it. Yeah, very disappointing. But it's this two match in one day thing where they like they stack the schedule and if there's any weather, um, I feel like they should have like a tennis cage somewhere like you know in a bunker at every tournament. So, <laughs> so in the event that like weather becomes problematic, they just you know it, it there doesn't even have to be room for an audience. Like they just go down and televise it, and they just go down and battle in a, in a basement somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. They, maybe they could do like a holographic projection on the tennis court, like where they're yeah. supposed to play. Yeah, yeah. While it's raining. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty spectacular, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And you'd have to be pretty hardcore. You'd have to be a real, <laughs> real yeah. tragic <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. to be out there. Sit out in the rain and watch a hologram. <laughs> <laughs> this is an interesting proposal. Another perhaps more sensible proposal could be... Uh, cricket is have a reserve day so um, ah, reserve day gosh but i suppose the scheduling so packed that there's not really room for any reserve days because they're on the planes to the next tournament like the day after qualifying is happening for the yeah. next tournament before the other tournaments even finish yeah yeah yeah, and I think there's this element of selling tickets too with tennis that's really tricky because you never, you don't know until the day before who's going to be playing on a given day or what the schedule is going to be. So, you know, tennis tournaments have to be selling days, and you know, and of course, like the final weekend is going to be, you know, is going to be generally pretty popular because it's the weekend. People are more able to attend. The better players are playing each other most of the time. Um, but yeah, I do like the reserve. Like the reserve day does sort of make sense. Um, as a fan, I don't. I just don't want them to stop. I also want it to be like predictable when they're playing. You know, it's it's frustrating when you're like, oh sweet, I've got like a day off. I can you know I can watch tennis all day, and then it rains somewhere else. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> rains on my parade. Yeah, yeah, that is super frustrating. Um, more roofs, more roofs in general need to happen. Yeah, more rules. Well. That's right. Yeah, let's roofs. make it more. Co- oh, more rules. Roofs. Sorry. Roofs, yeah. rules. <laughs> no more rules. Just more rules in general. Just chuck them in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. Um, one of the rules that exists in tennis is the comfort break. You're allowed to go to the toilet. Um, mm. Take a few minutes there. Toilet rules. Or, or there's also medical timeouts. Sometimes the player's shoes might break, <laughs> and then the umpire will say something like, Mr. Tsitsipas's shoes have broken. <laughs> we'll just take a moment for... You, you, that took you so long to pick up that segue, David. <laughs> it's true. That was that a was good really segue. good segue, Matt. Yeah, yeah well yeah. done. Because this is, but, this um, is one actually... of my favorite events like in recent tennis history. Um, oh, but go it was on. so good to do thing. But I need to take my own kind of break um, here. You need a comfort break not, right now? I need to, I need a shoe break, but <laughs> my shoe is my computer and the laces are my hard drives and I need to uh, change to another pair of shoes, meaning <laughs> dry. 
Right. Do you, um, do you, is there a Leander Pays in this situation, like kind of a former champion sitting in your box, a.k.a. your, I don't know, living room um, with a spare hard drive? <laughs> Like a personal IT person in your living room. <laughs> <laughs> We're going I'm deep a... with this analogy here. Do you need yeah. a, do you need a minute to take a break? Is that what you're telling us? Just, I'm on the, I'm on the challenger circuit here, and I'm doing all these. I'm doing it for myself. All right, we're back from our comfort break. Um, we were talking about Tsitsipas's shoelaces in. Or at least, well, we didn't actually talk about it. I really want to talk about Bianca Andreescu, um, but I think we should go back in time a little bit to uh, this really in- memorable match between Nick Kyrgios and Stefanos Tsitsipas in Washington, um, which we were just joking about. Like, it, it just had, that match had a little bit of everything in it. It was super mm. entertaining. And uh, Kyrgios went on and won the title. I don't even remember who he played in the final. Do you guys remember? Oh. It's irrelevant. That this was the match of the yeah, and like definitely that's crazy that that's irrelevant. Yeah, I know. It's like it it would have been it would have been wrong if no, it was Medvedev, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was. He beat Medvedev. Yeah, Yeah. isn't he doing well? Medvedev again. He's just there all the time, and and both uh, both Nick and Stefanos basically they lost very early um, in uh, in Canada. But uh, so you know, I think I think this the Washington run up like cost them some energy. But it was great to see Nick playing like he cared. But in that match, he also he gave you both sides of Nick, like light Definitely. Nick and dark Nick. You know, like in the yeah. second set, somebody in the crowd yelled something out, and Curios just did this thing where he's just like, "Well, I'm not going to play for these people anymore." Like he just he took like one person's, you know. Uh, I don't know, side yeah. comment and just decided to like spiral negatively for an entire set. And then, you know, it yeah. kind of carried forward into the third where I believe uh, Pass was up a break early on. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It was so interesting. Like you could, you could, that match was also uh, illuminating because you could tell like, right, this is, this is Curios's potential, right? Like he could be, easily a top five guy he could be competing Mm. for majors and you just haven't seen that very often from him um and at the end of that match you know or at the end of the tournament he was taught you know he was talking this big game about how he was really like trying harder to be professional and all this stuff but do you guys believe him do you think do you think we're seeing we're going to see a new nick now well i mean the very next match he blew up about the wrong towel being there and blew up at the umpire i was swearing at the umpire and and, and got bundled out of that of of Montreal first round. So <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's pretty hard to take that seriously in hindsight. You know, it was it was a nice hopeful thought, but no, I I don't think it's happening. <laughs> yeah, it might, it might not be happening yet. But the intention I think is there. Like yeah, as someone who struggles, and I think a lot of us do, um, with breaking bad habits. You can really be, you know, really turn your mind to wanting to break them, but it's, it proves harder than harder than you think. Um, at least he did manage to string some matches together and win a big tournament. Yeah. Um, and he could, especially in that City Pass match, see him trying to have fun um, and you know doing the theatricality with presenting City Pass with the. Shoe and <laughs> bended knee. Yeah, um, that was great. So good. That was great, and he, you know, and he's playing the he's playing his um, tweener shots when he doesn't really have to, but he's entertaining the crowd. He really seems to enjoy that. He's also having fun with the doubles, uh, partnering Sitsipas actually in, mm-hmm. in the doubles, and um, I, I think the team that team environment really suits him yeah, because he um, he likes having a team. He likes. A, playing with other people it's when he's by himself and it's only he he who he is he's only responsible for himself then he can start becoming self-destructive but when he's part of like um a convivial environment with the with the crowd or with a doubles partner or even with an opponent that he's respecting and that the match is um rolling along well 
he can be great for long stretches. It's, it's but yeah, as Alex said, it's little things like the towel or someone in the crowd saying the wrong thing, and he just this anger comes out and frustration. And it's, it's yeah, just I thought it was very hypocritical of him to be going hard so hard on Novak about wanting to be loved all the time, and then in that match saying things like, "Why would I play for this crowd if they don't even respect me? Why would I play? It doesn't even make sense. If you can explain to me why, why I'll try for this crowd, then I'll play." But they don't respect me, so I'm not going to even try anymore. It's like, hang on a second, <laughs> you you give Novak hell for wanting to be loved, and now here you are throwing away the second set because people aren't giving you love. Like, <laughs> all right, oh buddy. <laughs> yeah, he can. He seems like he cannot deal with the possibility that people aren't on his side. But yeah. he's also he like shows you these like glimmers of joy that other players don't show you. You know, I mean. And, and yeah, I mean, it's just, part of it's just goofing off. Like, you know, he wins the first set against Tsitsipas, and then he goes and gives fist bumps to everybody in the front, front row. And then throughout Washington, he was doing this amazing tactic at match point where he would, you know, go up to somebody in the front row baseline behind him and ask that person where he should serve on match point. Mm -hmm. And he's three for three when he gets <laughs> at this point. Incredible. And that was it, another thing that Tsitsipas match had, along with the other two matches that you mentioned. That involvement of the crowd, yeah. bringing them right in, um, yeah, and then serving where they say, winning that three times in a row, um, and then going back to the person that he found in the crowd and congratulating them and sharing a moment with them for for um, assisting him to win the, the match. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, I'm very curious to see what would happen if he didn't get that those aces. What like <laughs> what happens there? Does he ask them again on the next match point, or does he just you know? It would have been interesting to see that happen once, but we didn't get the chance. Yeah, I hope he keeps it up and we find out because you know yeah. somebody you know somebody's gonna break the chain. I have a feeling he's just gonna shake his head and go to the next person. <laughs> like I think yeah, that, yeah. you know, just be like, I don't trust you anymore. But if yeah. somebody somebody on one of our rival podcasts was pointing out that it's actually kind of a brilliant tactic because the players are being trained to like expect certain behaviors and big moments from their opponents like they have these teams that are breaking down opponents game plans and tendencies and you know and all of a sudden you're just introducing this total randomness into mm -hmm. the equation like the person yeah i think i listened to that as well yeah like the you know the person that is randomly selected from the crowd like I mean, uh, presumably they know enough to, like, say where the serve should go. I kind of wonder if that could be broken down even further, though. Like, I have a feeling that people would mostly say, like, T or wide, you know, like, n even knowledgeable tennis fans, like, maybe wouldn't suggest, like, a body serve in that moment. Or, like, I want yeah, somebody true. to suggest an underhand serve that... that if it was me, if I was sitting back there, <laughs> I would say T and then motion with my arms to the opposition. That's what be, that's what would be happening if it was me. So like as soon as Kiros turns his back, I'll be like, I just told him T. Get ready for the T serve. You know? With my arms, I'll just make a massive T in my arm and just tell me every day if it's coming down a T. Wow. You would risk <laughs> yeah. the wrath of, of Nick. Absolutely. I want to see what happens there. If he wants to throw it out there, he's gotta be ready for that as well. <laughs> you, you would make yourself famous, Alex, and you really inserted yourself into the match. Yeah, that's right. Maybe they right. will love me forever. The opposition will love you forever, that one. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because tennis does, like, I mean, one of the things that's fascinating about it, in singles in particular, is that it has this kind of feel of gladiatorial, gladiatorial combat, right? Like, there's these two players, like, out there on their own, and, like, the crowd is just this, this observing force, and, they, you know... And there's no, they don't, it, it doesn't cross over. Like the crowd isn't involved. The coaches don't get involved. You know, the players are out there mm -hmm. on their own. And Nick doesn't, that doesn't work for Nick really because he just gets lost in his head. Like, you know, it seems like a little manic, right? Like he just, yeah. he gets really up and then really down and you just don't know where the Nick roller coaster is going to take you. But, um, you know, and then the best players are ones who are just like, able to manage that situation like Novak at Wimbledon doesn't care that the I mean he cares that the crowd is against him but he can also use that to his advantage mm. in a way like he can just he can tune it out when it really matters and play his best which is sort of this extraordinary skill but mm. yeah I don't know that match just the the shoe like let's get into the shoelaces like if I was not a Stefano Tsitsipas fan, I would be like raving at the television like a crazy person, <laughs> like with frustration that his shoelaces keep breaking. And then yeah, somehow, that's 
and that somehow this this asshole doesn't have another pair of shoes ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> like, you took the what? words exactly out of my mouth, exactly <laughs> what I was saying at the TV when it was happening. <laughs> like, come on. If it's happened four matches in a row, bring shoes on court. <laughs> like, there isn't a solution to this problem right now. Like, but yeah, and then on that, on that curious one, it looked like he had some. But he was pulling shoes out of the bag, and he was. Yeah. Just, it looked like they were all broken or something. Like they weren't right, ready to. Like, it, that's the thing. I'm sort of wondering. Like I feel like Tsitsipas plays these these mind games, and I actually like yeah. if the, if it's intentional. I mean, I, how is it not? How could it not be intentional? Like yeah. you know, your shoes are breaking. There is not a big problem in getting another fucking pair of shoes. So, yeah. <laughs> so and yeah. yeah, and as you said, there were other shoes in his bag. So. He like opened his bag, pulled out these shoes, and was like, "Nah, I don't really want these." <laughs> yeah, what was that? Well, I didn't understand. Were they all the wrong side? Maybe they were like, "Did he only bring out left shoes?" Thinking like, "What? What was he doing there? What was going on?" It makes no sense. Um, yeah, and right, and then I don't know. It's very strange because I mean, first of all, can you imagine being the person in the box who has to like sh- string the shoelaces? Yeah, when all the cameras and eyes are on you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can barely do it by myself. <laughs> <laughs> when the pressure's off. <laughs> yeah. the pressure's off, and it's not always easy. And Leander Pays, um, Grand Slam, multiple Grand Slam doubles champion, was sitting in Stefano Tsitsipas' box, presumably <laughs> is working with him these days. And at some point, like mostly it's been Stefanos's dad who's been kind of restringing for him. Um, but in this case, like, he was the, the father, uh, I can't remember his name, was having... Uh, was Apostolos. Having a little... Apostolos, yes, that's it. Love that name. Apostolos was having yeah. a little bit of difficulty, and then Leander Pace takes the shoe away from Apostolos, and, like, he does the thing where he, like, he licks the end of the... Yeah, that's oh, right. Yes. I saw that. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> well, I haven't done that for, like, 15 years or something. I forgot <laughs> yeah. about that move. <laughs> right, because you only do that if the shoelace actually loses the tip, right? Like so yeah. that, that like hard tip at the end of the shoelace kind of yeah. you know, falls off. So Leander Pace like moistens it with his with his mouth, and you know, and twists <laughs> it, and then, <laughs> and then resumes the stringing of the shoe as everybody in the in the crowd is waiting. And of course, like the other thing is, why isn't Tsitsipas getting time violations here? Like he totally, obviously totally. should be. And, um, but he just, you know, like he's got this charm and, uh, you know, obviously rules are not enforced equally. And he's just like, I don't know, you know, like, it's just, it's just a problem. Like I just, I have all these, these left shoes in my back. Yeah. That was the most confusing part. I have so many questions here. Another question I have is what's going on with Adidas, um, and their, their shoes Mm, here? Right. Or is it been happening? It's been happening since the Australian Open. I noticed it in the Australian Open, and it's been happening. It was happening in a bunch of the hardcore uh, tournaments right after the Australian Open too. Like it's been a problem for the whole hardcore, all the hardcore tournaments really that he plays on. It's a, yeah, yeah. The uh, the ESPN commentators are or tennis channel commentators are regularly saying like Adidas needs to be watching this, and they they've got to have people on the case immediately. Like they cannot they cannot just like have. Tsitsipas going to the U.S. Open, making a deep run, and having this shoelace fiasco unfold, <laughs> you know, like in a yeah. semifinal match or something. Like, even though it is his problem, over it, it, it yeah. yeah, it's right, exactly. I mean, but other they still look bad. Aren't having this problem. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, if you watch him closely, you will see that he he's doing this like stretchy slide thing, and basically, like, so he'll be like moving to his right and lunging for a ball you know, to, to hit a forehand and like his left foot drags. So it's like, you know, yeah. it's like it's turned over and it's dragging along the ground. And that's, I think where the shoelaces are getting screwed up. Yeah. So, hmm. um, you know, well, I think that, um, something interesting that, uh, Stephanos could do is get sponsored purely for his laces only. Like keep Adidas as his apparel and shoe sponsor, <laughs> and then choose a different sponsor for laces, like a heavy duty. It could be, you know, a really good, um, really good deal for like a small up and coming lace manufacturer. Mm. Or just like steel rope, steel. Like what do you, what goes in there? Or what you know what I mean? Like what kind, are there? Are there hardcore laces out there? I guess there are. There must be. Like rock right, climbing. Like climbing, yeah, exactly. Yeah, There's gotta true. be something. I mean, I don't know if like, you know, they're like really heavy or something. <laughs> like they would somehow throw off his balance, you know. These, these the players are so particular about their stuff in ways, but 
I like that idea, Matt. I mean, I, you know, somebody, there's an opportunity here for, for a mm. new kind of, uh, new kind of apparel. Um, yeah. Or, or just like, a six year old style Velcro shoes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why not? I mean, do Velcro yeah. shoes not, well, didn't they make like hybrid ones that it's like laces and Velcro? Or is that yeah. ridiculous? Yeah. Like yeah, the yeah, Velcro yeah. over the top of the laces, right? <laughs> and, you know, we were talking okay, about yeah. that little spot on the laces with the Leander Paris had to lick. Right. Right? <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> do you know that that top part of the shoelace is called the aglet? The aglet. Aglet. The oh, aglet. Is... It's a small sheath, often made of plastic or metal, used on each end of the shoelace. Um, so is it the fact, is it the case that Adidas don't have aglets on the top of their laces? They've just got the fabric? No, everybody has an aglet because it's, it's really <laughs> difficult. It would be really difficult to, 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 to lace up if you didn't exactly. have that. Why was Leander having so much trouble? Why did he have to lick? Because he ripped it off. Cause in the thing, he ripped it off. Yeah. Oh, okay. You should have extra pairs. Of, why does he need extra shoes then? You should just have extra laces. I think the extra yeah. shoes were just there to hold the extra laces. So he had to <laughs> send <laughs> the extra shoe with Did you actually see shoe. At one point, Apostolos has pulled out his own lace. Did anyone see that? It was a red lace. And it, oh. as, as, as Leander oh. Pays was, uh, was trying to fix it, Apostolos has ripped out his own red lace yep. and was ready to get this involved. And then, and then Leander Pays was like, no, 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 I got this. I don't need, I don't need your weird red lace. I'm all over this. <laughs> that's, that's chivalrous. He ripped the very lace off his own shoe yeah. and rushed it forward. If you wouldn't that- do that for your son... But I, yeah, imagine, least, yeah. I imagine the tragedy that would ensue if, you know, if Apostolos forgot that he no longer had a shoelace on his right shoe and <laughs> took a bad fall, <laughs> you know, like bust, broke his hip or something. And his son would blame himself forever. <laughs> yep. This is the kind of stuff we're a thinking modern about Greek watching tragedy. a tennis match. Yeah. <laughs> modern Greek. This is a true, the true tennis tragic is uh, Apostolos yeah. falling and breaking his hip. Um, well, that was, uh, a lot of words about Stefano Tsitsipas' shoelaces. I love it. I hope it keeps happening. I mean, it's absurd. It doesn't make any sense. I think there is gamesmanship there. It there has to be. I mean, I think, I think he has a tendency to stall and he just has this way about him where he's like, I'm sorry, I just can do nothing about it. Um, yeah. and he's like kind of good at faking it in that way. And you uh, can you can prepare. You can yeah. prepare better, Stefano. And we're gonna be on the tennis tragic, we're gonna be on shoe watch. That's right. Benoit yeah. Pair called him out of that. Yeah, Benoit Pair got really unhappy about it. Although uh, they had a pretty nice handshake at the end of that match, I think. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they did. did. It was just lovely. Yeah, but he definitely called out the games machine on that. He was like, "This is this is not real. He's doing this to every match. He just when it gets tough, he comes and sits down and says, "This is my shoe. There's nothing wrong with it." And then I don't know if you guys saw he, he faked his own shoe situation the, the very point after. And that was great. I thought that was really great. Okay, well he can do it. Then I've got a problem with my shoes now too. And he just sat down. <laughs> it was great. Perfectly within his rights. I yeah, mean, yeah. When somebody's messing with you like that, that's why you know him and Curios make such a funny like i mean because with Pass, he's kind of trying to pass it off like nothing's going on you know like this is just just what's happening you know yeah. he's like so cool about it you know he's not he's not like making a big dramatic show of it and uh and nick on the other hand like everything is a dramatic show although i will yeah. say that in that tournament like i felt like Pass was getting really angry a lot and mm. you know he was expressing his anger vocally in this like kind of startling way and often the commentators were saying like you know like Stephanos he's really amazing like he gets angry and then he just channels that anger into like better play and I think to some degree that was true um but I don't know it seems a little concerning like he's getting even more more frustrated more visibly yeah worked up about things so maybe that works for you Alex because you're not not a, not on Team Stephanos at this point, but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I do like to see him playing well, and I, it is good. He is good to watch. So I I do enjoy watching his matches. I have to say that. Yeah. So I hope he plays well. I, yeah, I hope, I hope the upcoming the next 
hope Cincinnati he can go deep. I'm really interested to see how he can go in there. It's going to be it's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know the best, the most interesting players are people who you either love or hate, right? It's like yeah. somehow you know, like whether or not you're on their team is is not the point. It's just that they they make you know they they make you care enough uh, to pick a side, right? So yeah, you know, yeah. And yeah, I feel like Stefanos, he's just like, he's always playing interesting, exciting matches. And so is mm-hmm. Nick. So these are players that you want to, you want to see, you know? Um, so, I, you know, I feel that way about Bianca Andreescu now, which is interesting because she's a 19 year old Canadian girl um, who, uh, after she won her match against Sophia Kennan yesterday, uh, like on two separate occasions was just, she was like breaking down in tears. You know, like she's really getting emotional out there. And, uh, I mean, she just won a semifinal against Sophia Cannon, who is a very good player, by the way. But mm. And it's in her home crowd, but, like, she's just, like, so emo about it. And she's like, oh, life is just freaking amazing. She said that twice. Like, really? Life, life is freaking amazing right now. And, I mean, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> she's, you know, in, in that moment, I was reminded, like, this is a teenager that you're getting very excited about watching. But um, but it's also like kind of nice to see that positivity, you know, like they're under so much pressure. There's so much money on the line. This is in front of her home crowd. Uh, she basically hadn't played much in the last three months due to the shoulder injury she had. She was really funny about that, too, because she was like, you know, oh, that's the right. Last, you can last... play Roland Garros. She had to pull out. She played the first, I saw her live play the first round match over two days, which was exceptional. Like it was just really, uh, she's just really fun player to watch because it's not just that she has variety and it's not just that she's expressed, she has an expressive personality, but she's like, she's, I find her legitimately creative, you know, in a way that's Mm. surprising and engaging. Like I, I shared with you guys before this podcast, this point that she played against Kenan where Kenan like played a not a very good defensive lob but Andreescu is kind of out of position and she shuffles over to her left and it looks like she's going up for a smash and then she just gives this like kind of gentle like you know backspin uh like slice to the shot and like totally like Kenan just has no shot she runs up misses misses it into the net and then like slams her racket against the net and you could see Andreescu like smiling afterwards. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, like, yeah. Not only did I win the point, but I got into her head. You know. Yeah, so, I loved it. Yeah, I just I love that kind of stuff where you can like really get a sense for how a player is feeling about what's going on. Um, mm. And yeah, and her she just keeps winning, and she's she's a baby. She won Indian Wells. Uh, you know, she beat Angie Kerber twice in two weeks, which is like. Uh, one of my mm-hmm. favorite things to see anybody do, um, and uh, and here she is in the in the Toronto final against Serena Williams today. So very excited to to watch that match. She's, she's yeah, me too. Mm, me too. Let's um, let's hope. I'd like to see the young Canadian or um, at home in Montreal triumph over Serena Williams. Yeah, me too. It feels like Serena's lost a lot of finals recently. I mean, but then again, she only seems to play. Grand Slams, so she's in Grand Slam finals losing them. Um, and I guess right now, though, it's probably this is probably very wise for Serena's chances at the U.S. Open. Like she's playing here, she's playing in she's scheduled to play in Cincinnati right now. Like you know, yeah. she's getting that match play in. And I think she's she's a serious threat at the at the U.S. Open this year. Yeah, agreed. And she's back in the top ten. Yeah, which is amazing because how many tournaments has she played? I mean, it's just... Yeah, hardly any. It's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just hope it's a good competitive match. Uh, I'm pulling for Andreescu at home um, because, yeah, just very much enjoying her play. But uh, that could be a good one. Um, I guess, yeah. And then Nadal Medvedev as well. I definitely want to catch these matches. It's, it's It's a good final Sunday. Mm. Very good, two very good finals, and then we move to Cincinnati, and Andy Murray is back playing singles. I know. Yeah, what That's... news is that? It's great, huh? Amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, I saw him. I, you know, I feel a little gypped because I, I saw what was his last match ever live from the first row in at the Aussie. <laughs> oh yeah. And this this jerk decides to go have hip <laughs> surgery 
and now he's back playing again. It's only seven months later. It's it's wild. I mean, uh, and I mm. I'm joking, of course. Like he, uh, it's it's amazing that he's seems he's like a really quick recovery. Yeah, yeah. For and it's it, this was like a major surgery where they didn't really know if he would be able to get back out on the court. Yeah. So um, let's hope that he's uh, who's he playing? Is he playing Gasquet in the first round? He is. Yeah. So. Oh, really? And apparently they've had some real battles over time, the two of them. That'd be a good match, I think. Yeah, it would be. Under normal circumstances, Murray. Um, but Gasquet's also come back from his own injury, and he's strung a few matches together, um, beating Nishikori and Pear in in uh, Montreal. So, yeah, it could be a good, good first-round challenge for Andy Murray. Yeah. I love Gasquet. You guys know he's my favorite yeah. singles player. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan. I don't yeah, know why he's my favorite player. I know one reason is it's a single-handed backhand. And another That's reason is one of that. just the idiosyncrasies of um, of uh, always wanting the ball that he won the point with if he's serving and getting that yeah. ball back. And, serve, and then oh, yeah. re-gripping his racket between at every change of ends. Um, yeah, I, I love that too. It's just um, I don't I don't think that makes me enjoy him more as a tennis player, but I do I love those ticks, you know, and the, and the retaping at every changeover is just uh, kind of this mind-boggling. Uh, he also does like, the half retaping, like he leaves the orig- the um, leather grip exposed. Yeah, because he makes a bit of a knob at the end. He goes around the end quite a few times to make it really build it up right on the butt of the of the handle, and then. Then it runs out halfway up. I think I'm going to try that. Make a really big, like knob right at the end, just to see how that feels. <laughs> if if you don't have a double-handed backhand, you don't really need that. No. Nah. I just need to learn how to regrip my tennis racket once, because my tennis racket here in Texas, like it, it has like the disintegrating grip. Have you guys ever had that happen? No. Yeah. It comes off in your hand. Yeah. Because yeah, it's like <laughs> the racket was sitting in a bag for five years, and then I came back yeah. to Texas, and I've been playing some matches with a with a friend of mine here. Um, and yeah, and it's just you just get this like weird, gritty, like black shit all over your hands. Um, <laughs> it's. It's not the most pleasant. However, I have won both of my matches pretty handily. I feel good about that. So. Well, try that same grip. Try that same grip that he uses. Tourna grip. Shout Turner out Tourna grip. Give us, a, give us a sponsorship. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Tourna grip is definitely like they're going hard on the ads here on the tennis. Track. Are they really? They've got all the yeah. They've got all these tennis players. They've got like there's this really funny one with Carolina Pliskova, um, just talking about how great. Turner grip is. I mean, because Pliskova has like no personality um, that's that's visible to the naked eye. <laughs> so, so it's just like this robotic description of uh, tennis rackets grip material. For, <laughs> they are for they are really thirty good, seconds. But, no, for thirty that's quite a long time to talk about a grip. Yeah, it's the grip that never quits. Uh, something like that. I don't know. We'll huh. do, we could definitely do some pretty cool turn of grip ads if they want to sponsor our podcast and get my racket, <laughs> my racket cleaned up. They are good, but it's definitely not the grip that doesn't quit. It quits very quickly, but it's, <laughs> but while, don't but while say it's there, that, Alex, but while it's there, it's the best. It just it's the best for a short time. But you know what I mean? Yeah, that's yeah, why well, that's why Gasquet has to do it so often because it does really absorb all the sweat really well. But because of that, it runs out really quickly. He right. takes no chances. He plays three games max with that uh, grip. I think it's mm. mostly just a because um, nobody else does that, right? Like no. I think it's I think it's just like a meditative thing. Like he yeah. he's regripping yeah. to kind of keep his focus on something other than whatever's happening in his head, right? Like it's yeah, just like totally. it's a mechanical thing. It takes like basically as long as the changeover, and then he's playing again. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so Gasquet Murray, it's gonna be that's gonna be a good one. Do you guys know? Is that Monday? Tomorrow. Mm, sure. Oh, it's tomorrow already, isn't it? First round is tomorrow, and Andy Murray is not a ranked. Oh. Neither of those guys are ranked players, so I think that might be tomorrow. First rounder. Very yeah, good. the only way Gasquet got oh they both got in with protected rankings because um, Gasquet is ranked in the sixties. He'll move into the fifties with his third round performance in Montreal. Mm. And Andy Murray, 
uh, must be ranked in the hundreds now. Um, Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so luckily they've got protected rankings because of their injuries and they're able to still play these tournaments. It's kind of weird that Cincinnati has one of the uh, top tennis tournaments in the world. Do um, you guys know anything about Cincinnati, Ohio? No. I shouldn't, no. Have, I shouldn't have told you what state it was in. I should have asked you guys to... Yeah, I actually didn't know it was in Ohio, in Ohio, and that does that does automatically start to make me put a certain light on on it in general. Like, I just didn't. I actually had no idea where Cincinnati was. Yeah, like give me yeah. give me like like what would be a good like backwater Australia location to have a tournament? Mm. Like somewhere out like west, like some Perth suburb or something. Yeah, no, or like northern like Queensland. It. Yeah. Yeah, like of the Port Douglas Masters one thousand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is it like that? Is that the kind of situation? I mean, I from what I don't. Come on, like I mean, like it, they've got <laughs> football teams and like the Cincinnati Bengals. Is it? Yes, you're right. There are the Cincinnati Bengals. Is the Cincinnati Reds? Um, but I think that they, you know, they have those teams from a time when the city was like a little bit more alive and vibrant. I think it's like one of these American cities that's kind of in decline. Um, let's see, what's the population of Cincinnati? It's only three hundred thousand people. Oh yeah, and it is literally declining. So there, you know, um, there are other cities in Ohio that are bigger. I feel like this tournament is—it's like the, it's total suburbs. It's just in the middle of nowhere. Um, huh. Which, you know, I don't know. It's cool. They, I mean, for the people of that area, for the Midwest of the United States, like, this is the event, you know? Like, uh, the, the Labor Cup last year was in Chicago. And, uh, you know, Chicago is a major city with millions of people. And yeah. people were freaking out about it being there and were very excited. And um, so, you know, it's weird. Like, you would think a city like Chicago might have a major event, but Cincinnati mm. is kind of small fry. So. <laughs> You know, and it's not also not a destination for the rich and famous. Like you know, like Monte Carlo probably also has not very many people technically, but uh, most of the people there have a net worth of like seventeen billion dollars. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah Monte Carlo yeah. actually only has Monaco only has thirty eight thousand people. <laughs> there is a good point here though about Monte Carlo because um, Matt, the guy I live with, he. With Alex and I try, trying to get him into tennis, and he's, he's, his defense is sometimes, is, oh, it's an aristocratic sport. And mm. the, like the Monte Carlo example with the, the billionaires sipping their drinks. Maybe we need to get him on board for Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, Cincinnati, right. the Midwest town, that, you know, it's, it's a tournament for the people. Yeah. And, and also, Kyrgios is, Kyrgios is getting our, our friend Matt. In, involved in tennis because he actually watched some of that Sidsy Pass match with me and he, at the end of it he said that was a great match, it was so entertaining, I love that I actually could watch more tennis if it was like this Right, that's part of what it takes I think for most people is to just, you know to, to have that moment that really sticks in your memory, to have a match that's worth talking about I mean mm. the fact of the matter is most tennis matches are just kind of straightforward, you know, like there isn't that kind of personal drama. You've got a couple professionals on court. They don't necessarily always have big personalities. They just go about their business. But that match, yeah, that was the sort of match that made tennis fans. Like, if you were there that day, you'll probably remember that for, for a very long time. Oh, my gosh, yeah. So, but, yeah, it's interesting that people, like, I, it's interesting when people think that tennis is an aristocratic sport because I don't feel like that at all. Like, especially, I mean, but it has hints of it. You know, I think when people think of, like, in the U.S. anyway, when people think of American tennis players, they're thinking of, like, country club, you know, boys and girls, you know, like, people who are, like, pretty entitled and, you know, had access to things. But, um, you know, you find tennis courts in every city, you know, a lot of towns around the world. Like, you don't really need that much to play. It's not like like golf is, is the real aristocrat sport. I mean, like, for golf. Yeah, totally. You need, you need like a fucking helicopter to play golf, basically. Like, <laughs> like to make a golf course, you know, is non-trivial. Now, mini golf is the yeah, that's totally true. So, <laughs> but, 
but that's a bit of a curveball in there. I like that. <laughs> just um, mini golf. Compare mini golf to tennis and golf. I love it. <laughs> yeah, just like yeah, it's more, true. more relatable personalities. But yeah, you know what? Now I'm flipping on Cincinnati. I'm like, I'm glad that Cincinnati has a big event. It's just, I don't know. Like, I feel like if there were more, it, I feel like the Masters events could rotate or something. Like you could have these big events happen in more cities or more, you know, big or small cities around the world. Yeah, um, like England. Like, well, we're kind of talking about the fact that there's not much grass and there's no Masters event on that little swing. Right. What's going on there? Oh, there's, there's, it's Hala Masters? No, that's just no, a 500. It's a 500, yeah. It's a 500. So, yeah, and then, right, it doesn't have to be England just because, like, England seems to have the monopoly on grass. Like... Uh, yeah, that's know. true. That's true. Any any Masters grass would be great. Yeah, like yeah. let's have a Dutch grass event. Let's have yeah. a, you know a Russian grass event. Like anything to just you know to stretch it out a little bit. Well, there, yeah, I mean there is a Dutch grass event and there is the German grass event and Queens and stuff, but none of them are five hundreds. I mean, none of them are one thousands. They're all five hundreds or two fifties. Yeah, right. I yeah, I'm specifically talking about like the masters level stuff. But you know, it, it's also interesting because you do like when you're super hardcore like the three of us and you watch these lower level events. Sometimes you watch events in these far off places. You know, there'll be an event somewhere in China. So you know, deep. Mm. Like you have to look at the you have to Google it to know where yeah, the yeah. they're playing, or like somewhere in Eastern Europe, and there's nobody in the crowd. And like, like I'm, there have been times where I've been watching a, like a, an early round 250 match, you know, maybe it's like Istanbul or something. Yeah, I've watched and some I, of those as well. And the I feel like it's, one. yeah, it's like me and like seven people in the crowd. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? I know. It's really weird. Super weird. So. I was just reading about someone, Bill Massey, who has built 24 grass courts in Pontiac, Michigan. Uh, he's and he yeah, and he just loves grass. I was reading about him today, and he just loves grass so much that he was like, uh, "People need to play on it more. I'm going to build a court, and then just built a whole club and bought and built 24 courts." And he finally he had an ATP event on there, like maybe last year, I think. Get out or, of here. Was it a challenger or something? Yeah, I'm just trying to back and find the article again. It was. Uh, He's trying to. His 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 dream is to get is is for it to be a, a build up to Wimbledon, and that's what made me think about maybe he should have a Masters there. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I I'm guess to, hmm. I I guess in a way, like it takes like super rich people building <laughs> building tennis facilities to make this stuff happen because it's not yeah. like the tennis you know it's not like there's the tennis powers are are funding these things out of pocket you know like like Indian Wells like became. The, probably the, the gold standard of the Masters level events, but because mm. Larry Ellison, who's, you know, the billionaire who owns Oracle, just is a massive, you know, he we should get him on the pod. I mean, he's a real tennis tragic. Like, he's he's obsessed. He has Rafa Nadal come hang out on his yacht. <laughs> like, really? Like that's, yeah, right. That's what, you know, that's what he does with his money. So when you have that kind of investment, then suddenly things just change. Um, yeah, that's true the world we live in. Mm. Yeah, I just found it. He had one last June. It was a $10,000 ATP tournament. I don't even know what they, you call those. Is that a challenger? Is that a futures? I don't know. Yeah, it could be either. Uh -oh. I don't know. Like, it's yeah. weird when they put the dollar amount there because it's also Yeah, I like, know. It's strange. That's, that's the total prize money, so it's like the winner probably makes like $800 or something, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. I don't, it's not, it could it's just not be, yeah, exciting. it could be an ITF future. Oh, but you said ATP, didn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. So maybe yes, that's probably challenging. Challenger. Yeah. yeah, I think ITF is. I don't know. We need to. We need to dig into that. We need to do our expose and talk about the lower level. Uh, yeah, yeah. I want to talk about it, but I think we need to know more before we delve into it. So that'll be on a. That'll be on an upcoming. That's a teaser. This is a teaser for the next podcast, everyone. Right. Stay tuned. <laughs> if you want to know yeah. the intricacies yeah. of lower level struggling tennis players' lives? 
Yeah, and the changes that they brought in at the start of this year, which which took away a lot of the ATP ranking points from some of the lower tournaments, which is locking a bunch of people out of of rank of leveling up. But that's this this is we'll talk about this more when we know more about yeah. when I know more about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's got to be so brutal. There was a fa- we'll we'll bring this into the conversation as well. But there was this fascinating article in the New York Times four or five years ago about what it takes to get one ATP point. Because that's a thing that, that, like, that's like a career goal for a lot of these guys, you know, just to mm. get one point. So yeah, I have uh, a ranking. I'd yeah, be ranked a thousand in the world. Yeah, because you don't have a ranking unless you have a point. So. Yeah. Um, on that note, um, I don't think this podcast has a has a ranking because uh, we haven't actually shipped one. But I think this might be the one, guys. I think this uh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to put this up for. For public consumption, see what happens. So uh, yeah, yeah, we're starting in the futures right now. That's right. This is um, the futures <laughs> level podcast. Yeah, this is the start of the grind <laughs> into the ATV level masters. <laughs> yeah, um, or the WTA level, um, depending on your assigned gender. That's true. We can. We don't have to decide that today. We can uh, kind of see what, what gender is the podcast. <laughs> Yep. Um, um, could go either way. But 